Hey guys, welcome back to Contest Prep University. I'm Joe Klimczewski with Adam Atkinson back in our coaching behind the scenes series. And I want to tackle this week, Adam, the perfect off season. If, if you were a coach, if, if you could get in the coach's ear and hear what the best coaches say about clients and off seasons and what makes the best client, what, what gives them the best chance to win, I think it always comes back to that setup. And I was, I was having a, a great video chat this morning with a, a new client from overseas. And that was her mindset going in. She said, I want to hire you. And we're going to go through all of 2021 as an off-season setup to compete in 2022. And I said, you have no idea how smart that is. Like what we're going to be able to accomplish in terms of just the setup time and focusing on all those off-season uh, training progressions and, and the, the strategic nutrition that we can employ through this year to then set you up for that perfect pre-contest season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, champions are made in the off season. And I, I think more and more now we get clients that stay with us. And I would say five years ago, how many times did we know, you know, people were going to be done with us when that season ended more and more people know how important it is to take that time to grow. Um, even just, you know, paying attention to your nutrition. I won't say dieting in the off season, but actually having a fine tooth comb through your nutrition in the off season is huge. Cause how many people do we still know today that don't track a macro in the off season and, you know, they're, they're likely not in a deficit anymore, but how much better could they be if it was uh, measured or um, calculated? And uh, those are going to be some of the things that we talk about today. Right. And I, I will agree, even in my own career, when I, was, when I was younger and just trying to win and learn the game and get my pro card and, and I was in college and all that. And so it was just kind of part of my identity moving forward into even my, my nutrition, you know, graduate work, I, I would get up there on stage as often as I could when it fit my schedule, just because I wanted to achieve that next level. As soon as I didn't really have to do that as a pro, and we were required to compete every two years just to maintain our pro status. That's what I backed up into. And that always gave me that full solid year off with another full year for transitioning into and then executing the pre-contest. And it's, it's, it's how you really make progress. And I would say, you know, I've often joked on our podcast about this, that I've always started in last place, you know, starting at my first contest all the way through different categories, divisions, opens, regional shows, national shows, pro, just that next rung was always a brutal wake up call. But as soon as I did become a pro backed up into those two year off season plans, that's when I started making bigger jumps, you know, always, you know, getting higher and higher in the ranks as I moved up. And one of the things that I think people fail to, to uh, give credit to is not just the recovery that the time you're not dieting, but the chance to really be strategic about your training. And, and that's something that we don't always talk about as nutrition and prep coaches. Training is just kind of a given, you know, we, we think people know what they're doing in the gym, they're training hard, that's good. But when you have that time to focus on it as a coach, I think it's really a great opportunity to sync up the nutrition. And I don't know about you, Adam, I mean, do you, do you actually provide training? I mean, 
absolute set by set workout by workout training progressions for all of your clients? Not all. So they have the option to do training with me. Um, some of them have in-person trainers that they work with. So it just kind of depends on the need of the client. But I would say a majority of my clients do some sort of uh, programming with me. And some might do it in the off season only. And then when prep starts, they stop. Or uh, oddly enough, some people will only do the training during the season uh, instead of the off season. So it just really depends. I've noticed, I've noticed a big shift. You know, first of all, maybe 15, 20 years ago, um, e either a lot of people were just doing training on their own or maybe because so many nutrition coaches now include it, I think more clients just expect it because I also used to divide those two things. Not everybody wanted it. We had, you know, a couple of people in our company handling the training and it was just kind of separate. We could keep nutrition and prep costs lower that way and they could just piece in what they wanted. But now so many clients come and they just expect it, you know, Hey, where's my training program. And so I, I think just because of that shift in, in the market and in, in the industry, I, I almost always bring it up and ask, you know, what they would prefer. But with this particular client today, it, it kind of becomes a centerpiece. If we're going to have an entire year off season first, or even if it was a client that's been working with me for years and we're moving into that, it's just a given that that has to be the anchor, you know, that that training is going to be everything. So I would like to hear from you, Adam, if you had that entire full year of off season, how do you start prioritizing and planning the training? Yeah, so, you know, it really depends on if they came directly out of prep or not. Um, that first phase in training uh, might be more about recovery than anything. You just got done with a very, very long season. So we might not be pushing that hard. We're, we're still recovering from the prep and um overcoming a whole lot of stress and that takes time so you definitely want to fix that first before you go you know falls to the wall in the gym again and uh, I also think too just for your joints and just uh, for taking the time to develop good movement patterns again as your body fat comes up um, it's definitely easier on your joints to kind of take your time gain into um, some heavier loads. Um, I find oftentimes people jump in too quick and uh, I've always told people just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And uh, it, it really does come down to being healthy first. And then you can start moving into, uh, you know, some more muscle breakdown and some, some things that you're going to recover from stress from more easily because you're in a better state to do so. Um, what happens is your body just gets so used to being in a state of survival. Um, you can almost like change your epigenetics if you don't give yourself the recovery because your body is just worried about going through that potentially starved state again. And then what happens is you don't end up responding your next contest prep is fluidly. So it really does take time and there's a balance to everything. So you really have to monitor and watch it. You're not overtraining in the off season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really, really good notes. I have a, a bunch of clients right now just coming off of the season now that we're at the end of the year. And, and that was my first consideration. You know, let's take a couple of weeks to, to transition and make sure you're recovered. And then uh, a lot of times people are struck 
by the fact that lower frequency, lower overall volume, but so that you could focus on strength in the gym is critical. And uh, in in this era, I I often question myself because of the some of the programming I see. Uh, you know, how many bikini competitors come to you with a program from somebody else? And they're training glutes six times a week, legs four times a week, and then maybe, you know, three or four sets for back or something. I'm like, is this, is this really effective? I mean, are you, I'm, I I don't think it's just, you know, being quote old school, but the, the physical medicine in me, the, the physical therapist who went through all the physiology of learning how, you know, sarcomeres are lined up and the actin and myosin filaments are, are shortening segments and the only way you stimulate adaptation is based on how much force you create between those sarcomeres with those actin, myosin filaments. I don't think you're going to do that by training glutes with 80,000 reps every single week versus having some periodization model where you're still training for gross strength. Uh, I was, again, having another video chat with a client. And we were talking about some of these things. And I said, I know it might be fun. Like I, I, I could give you an exercise where you're in the corner, standing on your head, moving this muscle this way on a medicine ball. And, but if you're really trying to gain the, the, the greatest glutes that just look like two medicine balls stuck together under your skin, it's going to be the person over there in the corner deadlifting 400 pounds while you're doing all that other crazy stuff. So I, I still go back to the basics in terms of, muscle function, muscle development, and then we can prioritize the, the frequency and the intensity changes. And, you know, of course you're working in functionality and hypertrophy work, but all of that takes a lot of, of attention to those progressions because you can't put everything you need for each muscle fiber type, all energy systems, all three or four is they're, they're calculated now energy systems in the body, can't do that in every workout. So you have to have a method of periodizing that throughout a year with some, some block progressions. That's a great point. And, uh, you know, one thing, um, a lot of my bikini competitors need shoulders and glutes. Those tend to be the two largest things that my women are behind on. Um, but we can't just blast shoulders glutes and then also grow your legs and also grow your back so we really have to pick and choose you know what are we focused on in this block and uh, some good frequency can be great I'll have some of my girls train glutes maybe three times a week but that means they're not really touching their legs they're um you know, if you break down the whole body, you have to recover from it. But if we're breaking down just the glutes, you only have to worry about, you know, the, you know, um, all the metabolic processes to only recover the glutes. So I actually do have a female right now. She's made a incredible glute transformation because um, her feedback has been she's too big everywhere else except for her glutes. So we honestly don't train anything but glutes. So I feel like I've gotten lucky because we can train glutes almost three or four times a week and she recovers just fine because it's the only thing we're breaking down. So um, also there just has to be that customization. I know you see it all the time where bikini girls are doing uh, thousands of leg extensions and they have big quads to begin with. So I'm like, unless you're doing wellness, what is the purpose of this? 
You know, there, there is interestingly a lack of knowledge, I think, in some of the newer people, you know, even those who are going through exercise science curriculums in some of the principles of, of how to stimulate muscle, like, like what's really happening at that physiological level. And that's one of the things I don't hear a lot of coaches talking about, you know, how do you contract that muscle fully? When you're doing a compound movement, like a deadlift or a back squat, you know, what is the real goal of that movement? Is it to overload with good biomechanics? You're getting the most strength disruption. You're, you're putting the most force through your body as possible, or is it to isolate a certain muscle group? And obviously we know the answer is, is the first. Uh, but then when you are doing something that's a little bit of an accessory movement, you know, is there a way to use some, you know, supersetting or drop setting or something that really does exhaust that muscle a little more completely as you're talking about metabolic disruption? And then even why would you do that? How do you structure that into a training block? So uh, again, when I start a client on something like maybe a, a, a deep, you know, deep off season, three time a week training, a lot of people balk at that and say, well, that's not enough. I want to, I want to train every day. I want to train six days a week. And then they do the actual workout and they realize, holy shit, I actually needed two days just to feel like I could go back to the gym. And it's not that you're doing just, you know, just bro intensity type stuff. It's really getting to the heart of that, you know, again, sarcomere level type, type force through the muscle. And that's how you feel when you've trained to that level. There are other times you just don't want to train to that level. You want to do more hypertrophy work or accessory work. But I, I think that's a, a key component to an off season. And then as I was telling my client this morning, you have to eat for that. You know, that's the time that you want to plan on a calorie surplus when you're causing that much uh, adaptation need through your muscular system and your nervous system. That's when it's going to be most beneficial. So if we can plan a two or three month training cycle where it's okay to gain a couple pounds and we're going to have that calorie surplus, then we can pull back a little bit on the strength work, add another day or two of training frequency and then, you know, bring calories back a little bit. So we're not gaining too much, but these are the kind of thought processes. I don't see a lot of people going through competitors or coaches that can really make or break the kind of progress that's possible in an off season. I find a lot of um, people that are very smart with training, they'll have a coach who's maybe not the best, uh, you know, training coach. And then they almost take, what they got as a program is gold um, and they almost forget everything that they learned, you know, in college or in the labs that they did um, because they just categorize it as, well, this is a bodybuilding coach and this is how bodybuilders should train. And um, we, we almost give so much credit behind like how someone looks versus like what they actually know. And I know we've talked about this a lot, and it is contextual, depends on the person. But do you have kind of a general rule if somebody is just exiting a, a, a contest season now, you have a full year before you start the next pre-contest cycle, what, what's the kind of weight gain you think is appropriate or that you would allow for, for a client? It, that one's tough because there's a lot of things that are going to flip that variable. Um it, the first is going to be them achieving a normal hormonal profile again. And 
we know that body fat really can dictate that to some degree and also just uh, stress. So some of my people might have to gain more weight than they want to achieve that healthy hormone profile. Um, additionally, that can switch based on, well, how small was the person in their last contest? How lean did they get? I might let them get a little bit heavier if they were absolutely shredded. Maybe they cut pretty easily. So we know that we have that cushion to move up a little bit higher. Um, on the other hand, I might have somebody who has a very, very slow metabolism and maybe we needed to lose 10 more pounds to be competitive. Um, I might dance on the side of leanness as much as possible with that client. Um, again, with number one, um, that hormonal profile in view, um, but try to keep that person as lean as possible to make sure that they uh, don't gain too much body fat and then we can definitely bring a better result. But that may end up saying, you know what, we need more than a year off season. And uh, this happens all the time. You know, you brought up a really good contrast. And I'm a silver lining kind of guy, glass half full. I never want a client to think that they have, have done something that has hurt their chances. If, for example, somebody does gain more body fat or more weight than they wanted to, I say, well, you know, let's make the most of it. Let's, let's, you know, really look at the fact that this is our chance to gain some, some recovery time and, and some strength and some lean body mass. But it is interesting, as you said, Adam, that it almost is predicated on what they just came out of. So as you were saying that a handful of my clients came to mind who had gone through a really good contest season competed in, in enough shows that their, their food intake had climbed all the way back up to off-season levels. So somebody, like I'm thinking of a male competitor who, you know, probably had dieted the hardest, 150 or so grams of carbs a day, maybe 17, 1800 calories. Then all of a sudden in his last contests, he was rolling in eating 300, 400 grams of carbs a day. You know, his calories are 22, 2300. So now here we are three, four weeks past uh, his last contest he's only gained five or six pounds because he just didn't have a, a big rebound. He's, he had all of that food in that metabolic capacity already in tow, but other clients may not, you know, be in that position. They, you know, they still were diving down hard, hitting that last contest. And then there was a little bit more of a rebound. You, you know what that can be like when even with the best intentions, you just, you get into one, one weekend that was a little, little heavy. And then it's just kind of hard to stop. But again, that's, that's not saying that, you know, you, you've blown something. Now the whole off season is going to be a waste of time. It's like, okay, let's work with that. You know, now, now you've got some cushion to play with in terms of, you know, the food intake is already there. Let's just make sure we're not going any higher and let's jump right into maybe, you know, some of that, that stronger work. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> so as kind of a final note, again, with this being a coaching behind the scenes, uh, episode. If you did have that perfect client context, that person who gave you the entire year as an off season, it's somebody you've worked with previously. So you know each other, that rapport is there. You understand their body and their physiology very well. How would you want to end the off season with what kind of pre-contest looking forward to? In other words, would you you know, how would you want to shift their body composition toward the end of that off season 
And then what are you planning for as, as a pre-contest? Yeah, as like a pre-contest, before the pre-contest happens, I might actually have fats a little bit higher than I would like for mental satiety. So one of the big things I could see me um, maybe shifting carbs up and fats down to just really maximize that variable, um, get that carbohydrate metabolism up, and then um, just keep fats on the lower end just so that they can hit their numbers. Um, that's that's where that becomes difficult is sometimes the carbs can get really out of range to the fats. The other thing would be is uh, since we have been training hard for a whole year, towards the end of that off season, I would like some rest and a break from systemic stress. I would like cardio relatively low. Even if we were doing some, I would like to dial that back. Um, keeping caffeine intake low um, because these will all be variables we can use during the prep to enhance things. So um, basically almost trying to do the opposite of what we would do in a prep rest, um, you know, make sure sleep's good. I think that's something that a lot of people uh, overlook. And then uh, trying to keep like the ergenic aids down, keep the caffeine down, um, keep cardio low and uh, just those will all be variables we can lean on once the prep starts. You know, I, I hope everybody watching or listening understands how smart that is, Adam, in that it's almost like a macrocosm of if you were getting ready for an event. And if you look at the whole pre-contest season as something that's going to be physiologically taxing on many, many levels, you do want to have the most rest. You don't want to be totally beat up toward the end of that offseason you do want your food intake to be relatively as high as possible. So you're, you're building that metabolic capacity toward the point where you're going to start creating a deficit, you know, even, even down to talking about caffeine use, because people will rely on it a little bit more as they're, they're losing energy from food. So just, just super smart, Adam, to really tie all those variables together and say that it does matter, you know, not only how your entire off season was planned and executed, but then how that is going to tie into the launch point for your pre-contest. Absolutely. <clears throat> awesome. Well, you guys, I don't know uh, who's watching this now or who's going to be watching this in the future, but in real time, we are approaching the end of the year. And so we're going to uh, do another final episode like this in a week, and it's going to be all geared toward the pre-contest. So this is our launching point for that. Then at the beginning of the year, we're going to go back into our normal uh, quicker hitting series. So smaller episodes, five, six minutes hitting some topics. So hope you guys are ready for a great new year. Uh, again, if you guys are looking at the timestamp here in the future, you can see this at the end of 2020. So it's been quite a challenging year on, on many fronts in terms of scheduling and, and just getting people into the mindset of having a normal, stable uh, training structure. So Adam, thanks so much for your contribution to this. And as I said, guys, we'll do one more this year, and then we're going to be tackling 2021. So we'll see you next time in Contest Prep University.